Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Peace, is from Romans 12, verses 14 through 21. It was the third of four sermons during the season of Advent. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't know what the weather was like on Christmas Eve 1914 in Ypres, Belgium. But I can tell you what the world was like. They were five months into World War I. It was the first time that the entire world had gone to war. And they were only a brief few months in, but already things were darkening. Trench warfare had begun. The deep, the deep lines of trenches were being dug across Europe. English, French, German, Austrian soldiers were filling those trenches with guns pointed at each other. But starting in November, a curious thing happened. There would be cessations in fighting. Conversations were shouted across the trenches. Many of the German soldiers had lived in England, and so they knew the language and, and they knew the culture. And ultimately, England's not that far from Germany. And so they would have conversations back and forth. They would ask, how are you doing? <laughs> well, we're in a trench. How do you think we're doing? They would ask, how are your sweethearts back home? Have you heard from them? And it is noted that from one, this, this is dear to my heart, in one soldier's journal, uh, he was having a conversation with a, a German soldier about their, their shared love of a, of a soccer team in London. But on that Christmas Eve, something curious happened. The German soldiers started placing candles on the edge of the trench, and they started lighting the candles. And somehow they had gotten evergreen branches and, and Christmas trees, and they were, they were lighting candles on the Christmas tree because they hadn't thought about how big of a fire hazard candles are on a live tree. <laughs> and they started singing Christmas carols. And the English soldiers heard this, and they started joining in. And the, the two warring trenches were singing Christmas carols together. And the next day, they slowly and tentatively started emerging from the trenches. And then they all came out of the trenches. And it wasn't any prey. It wasn't just any prey. All up and down the western front of World War I, enemy soldiers were coming out of the trenches and celebrating Christmas together. They were putting down their guns. They were laying down their arms. 
they were, they were trading candy, they were trading cigarettes, they were trading um, decorations from their, their uniforms and things that they had collected. There was a, a soldier who wrote that one of, his, uh, one of the people in his military group uh, had been a trained barber. And so he was trimming up beards and giving haircuts and, and doing things like that. The, the English soldiers formed a little soccer team and the German soldiers formed a little soccer team. And praise God, the English soldiers won. And despite the fact that they had spent five months shooting at each other, they saw that Christmas, that the arrival of Christ into this world was bigger than the hostilities between their two countries. There's a great temptation in our world to seek peace from the top down. We think that's how it has to work, that if the governments and the leaders and the powerful people can get their, their garbage together and, and sort things out and make peace with each other, that then it will trickle down and, and there will be peace on earth. But if you read the scriptures... I think you see that that's simply not true. Because if you look at what the Word of God says, is it says that peace begins with us. Peace begins with followers of Jesus realizing that we are called to live at a different standard than the rest of the world. We are called to understand what peace is and make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God. If you want to be part of God's family, you got to learn to make peace. But we struggle with that, don't we? We live in a world full of antagonisms. How antagonistic are we towards each other? I'm always struck when Jim prays for our country because he, he uses this phrase, common sense. None of us like to be argued with. None of us like to, to be seen as the enemy Yet, sometimes we, we seek to make enemies of, of other people, don't we? People with differing political views, differing religious views, uh, differing ideas of whether ham and pineapple belongs on pizza or not. We naturally like to make enemies out of people. And we're antagonistic. And for all of the, the, the good that the internet does... You know, we can share pictures of family who are, are all over the world. We can see uh, 
videos that people take and make and the creativity of, of humanity at this moment in history. And we, can, we have music from the ages and we, we have pictures from the Hubble telescope and there's just so much good on the internet and cat pictures and dog pictures. And also, it's given us a great way to argue with people, hasn't it? It's given us a new way to fight with each other. And we didn't need a new way to fight with each other. We've always been great at fighting with each other. It's just now that we can fight with people we don't know, and we don't have to tell them our names if we don't want to, we can come up with any old name we want to and then just really stick it to people, can't we? And this is the way the world operates. This is accepted behavior in our world. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not just not being antagonistic. It's working towards something called peace. Peace is the presence of right reconciled relationships through Jesus Christ. That's peace. When we look at the book of Romans, we are reading Paul's words to a group of people who are troubled and beleaguered. That's a great word, isn't it? Beleaguered? They are most likely converts from Judaism. And a lot of scholars don't think that it's, it's too far-fetched to speculate that some of the people that Paul is writing to were present at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was, was descended and filled the church for the first time. And yet... They're already in trouble. Because the way that these Roman Christians are living, they are living outside of Roman culture. They refuse to acknowledge the levels of hierarchy in Roman culture that start with the rich and powerful and work their way down to the plebeians, the least of society. They refuse to acknowledge that and recognize everyone is equal through Christ Jesus. And because of this, the Romans are utterly frustrated with the Christians because they just don't care. In fact, the Romans called the Christians atheists because the Christians refused to recognize the Roman gods in all their pantheon. They refused to recognize the Caesar as God. They refused to recognize war as one of their gods. They refused to accept that the Roman peace, which was peace by defeating all of your enemies, was the peace of Christ. The earliest Christian proclamation, Jesus is Lord, that we proclaim now 
was finished by saying, Caesar is not. It was completely countercultural. And so to deal with a multitude of problems, some that were coming from the Jewish side, some where they were just disgusted with the Christian situation, the emperor Claudius banished Christians from Rome. He said, get out. And forced them to leave at the point of a sword. But yet, some remained. Some remained in Rome saying, this is our home, These are, this is the place that God has called us to. And Paul is writing to them. And as you read the words from Scripture today, you see very plainly what some of the temptations for this church was. There is the temptation to be bitter and resentful and angry about the way they were being treated by the, their fellow Romans. There is the temptation to respond hatefully and antagonistically to the persecution. There is the temptation to try to repay this evil that was being done against them with more evil. But Paul is imploring them to seek a different way. Because in this passage, we see the things that make for peace. Because true, lasting peace on earth comes through followers of Jesus living out the ways of peace. The ways of presence of Jesus and right relationships through our relationship with Jesus. Peace begins with us having peace with God. And if that's not maybe the simplest message of Christmas, I don't know what is. Is we are able through Jesus to be at peace with God. We are able to have a right relationship with God where our whole lives are ordered not around our desires, not around our need for approval from the world, not around our own selfish intentions, but around Jesus. Because when we have a right relationship with God, we want to maintain a right relationship with God. Amen. It's okay. It happens. If I didn't care whether or not I had a right relationship with my wife, Katie, then we wouldn't have made it 10 years. If I were living only for myself in my relationship with another person, that relationship won't last long because we all know people who are only interested in themselves, don't we? But yet, our relationship with God has to be about God. We order our desires around what God desires. We order the way we treat other people around the way Jesus treated other people. 
we order the leading for our lives by the Holy Spirit. That's what peace with God looks like. Because conflict is going to come, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Conflict is going to come. But when we're at peace with God, we're able to deal with this and reconcile this. When we mess up in our relationship with God, when we live in ways that don't please God, we are able to return to peace with God. But our relationship with God cannot be purely individual. That's the other side of what I, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the, the temptation for <clears throat> peace to be purely top-down. Is if we think that peace is purely internal, if it's purely me being at peace with myself and my own personal relationship with God, if that's all it's about, then man, peace would be easy, wouldn't it? but I have to deal with other people. I have to be around other people. And other people have different priorities than I do. And so part of our fundamental formation of peace with God is having peace in the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is the, the, the first witness that we have to the world. I can talk all day long about our church's witness in the neighborhood. But if our church isn't living out what we proclaim as good news in the neighborhood, no one will believe us. We'll make liars and fools out of ourselves. And that's what Paul implores in this passage. Be happy with those who are happy. Live in harmony with each other, and don't think that you're too good to hang out with ordinary people. Because you can see that temptation to go back to the Roman ways. You can see that temptation to pull back to that social hierarchy and the Roman social order. But the order of Jesus is that everyone is, is equal. Because we are all under the lordship of Christ. And we live out the peace of God in our lives, but also in our church, in the body of Christ. Because as we live out that peace, as we reconcile conflicts that we have with each other, as we reconcile disagreements that we have with each other, we create peace here so that we know how to create peace as we go into the world. Our church becomes a witness for peace in the neighborhood. Our church and us as individuals can demonstrate right relationships out in the world. And they see what's going on very clearly. But we also have to think about our witness in the world, that world that's filled in it with antagonisms, that world that is filled with hatred and malice. 
And how do we deal with this? One way you can deal with it is revenge. Anybody who wrongs you, you can go after them. Our world likes revenge. I was reading a, a, a Bible commentary this week that listed off a really incredible list of popular movies that the whole plot is revenge. And I was astonished. This Friday, the new Star Wars movie comes out. But my favorite Star Wars movie of the series, The Empire Strikes Back, one of the major storylines is Luke Skywalker taking revenge on Darth Vader for killing Obi-Wan Kenobi only to find out that Darth Vader is his father. <gasps> Sorry if I spoiled the movie for you. <laughs> I mean, you've only had like 40, 30, 40 years. Like you should have seen it by now. It's all on you. Revenge... Is, is, is very simple. We don't have to think long and hard about revenge. I slap you, you slap me back. That's revenge. Problem solved, right? Paul has something different to say about revenge. But I also want to tell you what Aristotle has to say about revenge. I never knew this. I learned something this week. This is Aristotle who is part of the philosophical line that largely informed Roman thought, to take vengeance on one's enemies is more noble than to come to terms with them. To take vengeance is more noble than to make peace, is what Aristotle said. So Paul, when he says, never take revenge... He's saying something truly countercultural. He's speaking deeply against one of the ingrained truths, not just of Roman culture, but our culture. We are living in a country that loves revenge. We are living in a world that loves revenge. But the Bible tells us the good news of Jesus tells us not to take revenge. And that is one of the hardest things we can do. But because it's so difficult, when we live it out, it makes such a great impression. We want to take revenge. But when we make peace, when we wait for God to settle things, the witness of that peacemaking is sensational. There is a Christian monk in the 4th century named Pelagius who said, the enemy has overcome you when he makes you think like himself. And Satan wants nothing more than for us to live in a world filled with revenge. Satan wants nothing more than for the witness of followers of Jesus on earth to be the witness of revenge. But when we're at peace with God and we're living out peace in the body of Christ, there's no room for revenge. 
in Nigeria, the government was taken control of by the Islamic State. And they wanted to implement a strict form, a fanatic interpretation of Islam. And a group of Christians marched peacefully against it. And a group of terrorists opened fire on this group of Christians, slaughtering loads of them. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, was, in, was teaching a lecture when a student of his, Sunday, received news of it. And he prayed with this student, and he ended his prayer by saying, Lord, avenge the blood of your servants. And then he paused so that Sunday could pray. And Sunday simply said this, please forgive the Muslims and spare them because they do not have hope. When we take the form of our enemies, when we give back to the enemy what they've done to us, it says nothing about the lordship of Christ and says everything about the reign of Satan. But if we're people who are living under the hope of Christ, under the peace of Christ, we make peace. And we have to do it as followers of Jesus because no one else is going to. Christmas Day 1914 didn't last forever. The guns started again. The sounds of distant mortar shells could be heard off in the distance. And those troops who were friendly scramble back to their trenches. The war continued. And in Christmas 1915, having been humiliated and infuriated by that display of peace the previous year, the military commanders on both sides ordered soldiers to stay in their trenches. A few resisted, but most stayed in their trenches. And by 1916, there were no Christmas truces recorded in any of the journals that we have from World War I soldiers. And the war dragged on. And C.S. Lewis, who was a soldier in World War I, Christian author, wrote that if he had stared across the scope of his gun at another soldier who was pointing his gun at him, he would have just seen two scared kids, neither of whom fully realized what they were doing. And here we are at Advent. Because Advent is expectation. And we don't live in a world with peace. And until one particular moment in the coming future, the world will not live at peace. 
Our lives won't be at peace. Our relationships won't be at peace. I don't know when it will stop. I don't know what it will take for people to realize the power of destruction, the power of hatred, and to turn from their wicked ways. But I do know this. The peace of Christ is greater than the hatred of the world. And we can be mocked, ridiculed, thrown hateful words at for insisting and working on right relationships through Jesus Christ. But Jesus is Lord. And the lordship of Christ and the peace of Christ means more to me than the disapproval of the world. And I don't know if there can be peace on earth, but I know we can work for peace in, in First Baptist Church. And I know we can work for peace in our lives and in our homes. And I know we can work for peace in Oregon City. But we have to do it together. The body of Christ, living out the peace of Christ, awaiting the fullness of the kingdom of peace, coming to rule and reign. Amen.